Welcome everyone to the Fandom Podcast Network. We have a special presentation of Time Warp for you guys. This is Time Warp 1984 Part 2, 40th anniversary of movies and pop culture, and we are discussing February of 1984. Everything in 1984, as of this year in 2024, turns 40. So yes, we're going to feel old, but have a lot of fun with nostalgia and go back in time. Welcome to Time Warp 1984. Like I said, we we're talking about February. My name is Kevin. I'll be your host, but I'd like to introduce my special co-host as always for Time Warp here. And with me, as always, is my brother from another mother, Mr. Kyle Wagner. What is going on, dude? Dude, I am so excited for this episode. I've been waiting weeks for this episode. My feet have been killing me. My podiatrist said I need to get my feet loose. And we're talking about getting feet loose on this episode I, 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 yeah it's a good man it was a great song from the 80s called feet loose yeah looking forward to talking about that it's gonna be a lot of fun <laughs> how you doing brother <laughs> i am doing well ready to dive back into 1984 i feel old i blame you we're good yes you're welcome <laughs> you're welcome i got more right, wait but we can't continue without the queen of movie foo miss lacey adderhole what's up hello you ready to get some feet loose Yes, yes. It's going to be an ordeal by Innocence. Now, as a reminder, everybody, we are now doing these shows monthly. So uh, it gives us a chance to not just dive into the films a little bit deeper, but also dive into the movies. I mean, excuse me, the TV series and uh, the, the music and some of the other pop culture in here. And we got a lot to talk about. As I mentioned, this is Time Warp on the Fandom Podcast Network, movies of 1984. And as from the picture up there, if you guys are listening, make sure you check out the video as well, because we've got slides for all of these cool posters and all of the stuff that we're going to be talking about. But uh, we have some stuff, of course, that has just arrived and uh, we've recently done here regarding Time Warp on the Fandom Podcast Network. Of course, we recently ended uh, 1983. Uh, we did, a, of course, an awards uh, wrap up for part uh, seven, I think it was. So make sure you guys go and check those out for 1983. And, uh, of course, our Buffy the Vampire Slayer Time Warp we did last year. Uh, and right now, I'm in my sixth season of my current rewatch. Buffy has come back from the dead. Things are weird, but I'm loving it. <laughs> you're, you're, you're in the season of depression. Yeah. <laughs> that's what that's what Aaron, my wife, says. Like, oh, yeah, there's a lot of hard stuff going on. I'm just like, God, when is she going to die? When is she going to die? So, yeah. But I'm enjoying it. It's, it's a good rewatch. So. Uh, and of course, last month we started with 1984 of January and we covered Airwolf and Angel and Hot Dog, the movie. Frankie said, relax. And a bunch of Apple stuff was important. And the uh, Raiders, the last time they won the Super Bowl 40 years ago. Thank you for mentioning that very well. <laughs> and of course, of course, this is a wonderful week for me, but that's a whole other thing. <laughs> this year, this month is February. We're going to be talking some fun movies here and, of course, all the pop culture behind it. But first, let's go back in time. Now, as a reminder for the people that are listening and a reminder for us as well and those that you're watching that uh, this show, Time Warp, we discuss a year in films and we talk about it month by month now, which is a lot of fun. But one of the reasons why we like doing this, guys, is that we talk about films that we haven't seen as well. We give some information on it and we try to convince ourselves and the listeners and the viewers like, well, maybe we should see this, especially if one of us has seen it and the others have not. We kind of 
you know, go that back and forth. And Lacey, uh, one of the films I did not <laughs> did not see last time because I had a hard time finding it. And then you're like, oh, you mean this movie? <laughs> the Lonely Guy? I think you threw up the Blu-ray. It was really, really funny. <laughs> and uh, I said, well, I want to go see it. So what I did was I uh, I went and bought it on DVD right there. Said, I think you show. bought it during the show. Like you were like, oh, I'm going to get it. <laughs> I did buy it during the show. And here's an update on it. Thoroughly enjoyed this movie. Oh my God. This movie was hilarious. And uh, I was remembering some of the things you're talking about. Like, you know, there, uh, w- would you say there was a, um, a, a suicide, um, like through line. Uh, there was a through. Yes. Line. Yeah. <laughs> a, a hilarious look at it, especially, especially the suicide bridge with the lonely mm-hmm. guys jumping off the bridge and stuff like that. I, I just want to mention my favorite scene in the whole film, by the way. Well, actually there was two. When he goes to, out to dinner by himself and the spotlight immediately comes on him and follows him down to his lonely table and all the couples are looking at him. <laughs> Freaking hilarious. And then after he gets his nori- notoriety from uh, writing about himself, he gets famous and he's with like the hot models in bed and Dr. Joyce Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I, I got a hot take here, guys. Hmm. Okay, so my t- two recent favorite Steve Martin films that we've talked about last year and this year are the man with two brains and lonely guy. And these are not getting enough love out there. They don't get enough replay. And these are comedy gems. The only, and I'm, I was starting to look at going, if you're not counting like, you know, the movies he's done with other people, like three amigos and what have you and, and, and parenthood or whatever it is, uh, father of the bride. I, I, that's what I meant. Um, I think his other great film is LA story. Right. And I got to tell you, I think these are his best films in my opinion. They are hilarious. I love these two films, man with two brains and the lonely guy, lonely guy is just, and you're right. Charles Grodin steals that film, Lacey. Right. He's phenomenal. Yes. Yeah. Um, But yeah, uh, I think those are my three favorite films that are, him as the star, basically, mm-hmm. you know, I, I put three, I would throw the jerk in there as well, but that one gets a little bit more love. Yeah. That one gets all the love. And so I'm sorry, but it's overrated. If you ask me mm-hmm. these three completely underrated, Kyle, you have any thoughts on Steve Martin and what I just said? I think, I think when you look at those, especially the lonely guy and man with two brains, that's early on in Steve Martin's career. He hadn't really fully hit it big yet. So he was, I think he had more freedom in what he was doing with his comedy at that point. Yeah. Um, and I do think, I think there's actually a lot of love out there for the man with two brains. That's a cult. That, there's a lot of cult classic. The, the man. With I two think brains. in my, my opinion right now, um, I think that's my favorite Steve Martin film. A lot of me, I think there's there. a lot of people who feel yeah. that way. Actually, me it's all, of me. all of me, that's a co-star thing. It's him and Lily Tomlin. Yeah. You know, it's not, he's not the main star. He, he's, I mean, look at, look at the covers of these. Yeah. He's on the cover, not Lily Tomlin or, or, I mean, um, uh, Sarah Jessica Parker on LA story. Mm -hmm. You look at all of me, they're on that together. You know, man with two brains, him, lonely guy, him, you know? So Mm -hmm. just my hot take. Uh, Okay. Yeah. Kyle. I was just going to say, and and as far as him starring those, yeah. But my, one of my favorite roles of his of all time is still him as the dentist in little shop of four. Yeah, he's good in that. Yeah, definitely. I'm like the only Next. person on the planet that did not like that movie. <laughs> Next one I saw, The Right Stuff. Finally got around to watching it. Got it right here on DVD as well. Um, nice. Found out it was streaming as well. 
guys, I don't mean to be mean to these guys, but it was boring. <laughs> it was so long. I appreciated all the stuff they did. And the cast was great. Ed Harris, Scott Glenn, Lance Hendrickson, Dennis Quaid, Sam Shepard, Fred Ward, Barbara Hershey. Uh, too long, guys. Sorry. Um, I'm just going to leave it at that. If you take a look at that and then you watch it back to back with, um, uh, what is it? Was it Apollo 13 where yeah. Harris plays the mission commander, the, you know, yeah. the mm-hmm. yeah. commander. Mm-hmm. you can watch those together as like his career. Like he was an astronaut and then he like, I don't know. Cut 40 minutes out of that film. It's just way too long. I, I get what it was trying to be. And it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's definitely an important part of history with test pilots and yeah. sound barrier. And I get it. But yeah. Okay, I got an update. Hot Dog the Movie. If you guys remember, Lacey had the Blu-ray of the uh, uh, unrated producer's cut. I had my regular DVD here, okay? All right. And remember, there was a travesty. I opened it up, and I broke I broke it. See, it's like, uh, and you said, wait, make it into a, uh, a Christmas ornament, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do that. But yes. the Blu-ray I wanted was not available, so I went and found out that the Blu-ray and the DVD release of the unrated producer's cut, same features. So I got the DVD instead. Plus, what I want to do is, and this is a thing that I do, guys. Maybe you do it too, Lacey. Is sometimes, like, if it's a DVD and you have another one that might have some special features, I kind of combine them. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm going to do is take the sleeve off this one, hide it behind this one, and then um, that's what I'm going to do. And I'll just keep this DVD box. Sometimes I'll like have my DVD or have my Blu-ray upgraded version, but I still want the DVD because there might be something a little different about it. I'll take it out of the old DVD box and I'll slide it in in a special sleeve. So now I have like the Blu-ray DVD combo Kevin style. You catch my drift? Yeah, I, you know I, I did the same thing, but I bought a bunch of the Blu-ray double disc um, cases. Smart, so smart. I just, so I, I, yeah. use, I take that, I put the Blu-ray in the DVD, but then I cut the Blu-ray. I mean, I cut the disc. Um, size out of the the um the sleeve of the of the dvd so that i can see if there are different special features so i can remind nice. myself smart if, if the dvd has you know extras I like that yeah lacy you got caught up in a film that we had last month in january of 1984 a agatha yes. christie uh book or sorry the yeah, a book that was came to it called ordeal by innocence uh do me a favor hold that up again lacy all right. Get a picture there. Yeah, that's the cover. You got the actual Blu-ray. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find it streaming anywhere, so you got the physical copy. Your thoughts on Ordeal by Innocence? It was definitely Agatha Christie. Um, starring real quick, Donald yeah. Sutherland, Faye Dunaway, and Christopher Plummer starring. Yes. Yes. Um, first of all, I would watch Donald Sutherland read a phone book. Um, he's one of those guys, or he's just like his facial expressions and his just his energy is so clear with three words, you know, um, he's fantastic and I adore him. So he was interesting to watch because this was one of those films, you know, it was obviously early eighties. So you're coming off of like the new Hollywood gritty, grimy kind of crime stuff. And then you're coming into this, um, a period piece obviously. And it's, um, it was, what year does it take place? Oh gosh. Um, it takes place in the year where they still have like butlers with white, you know, gloves. I don't, it, I don't think it says specifically the time, like the, t- the, but it felt, it felt very, it felt, you know, I think it was like the fifties. I think maybe? it felt, 19, yeah. it felt 1920, okay. 
something. But I know he had, I mean, the cars in there, the car on the back is like a Studebaker or something. So it's probably the mid 50s, mid 40s okay. or 50s. Young Ian McShane is also in that. Uh, so real quick, give me a quick plot synopsis here. What do you got here? Um, the same as all Agatha Christie movies. It's uh, someone was murdered and they got to figure out who, who did it. But the person who they initially think did it is not the thing. So basically um, three or five years ago, Donald Sutherland's character gives, gives a guy a lift to the, to the, the to the dock when he's on his late way to go do something when he comes back he realizes that in his car after this he was he's a scientist so he goes on this expedition he comes back you know two years later and he finds the guy's address book so he uh. takes the address book to return it to him just as kind of like a, you know what finds out the guy has been executed for murdering his wife oh wow and he realizes that he would have been the alibi because he was with him the day that the wife was killed. Oh, so then okay. it whole, like, kind of like opens up the can of worms. You see the whole family and how it's a very, um, it's so, just very clandestine. So would you give it a thumbs up, a thumbs down? Would you say? Yes. I love this kind of movie. I don't know that it's something that everyone loves. It's very, um, it's kind of dark and twisty. It's got some allusions to um, potentially, like family stuff that's not necessarily, it might be triggering for some. We'll just put it that way. Um, okay. But yeah, I very much enjoyed it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I appreciate that update and your dedication to letting us know. Cause I, I would have watched it if I found it free streaming somewhere. Cause I was, I was kind of curious yeah. about it. And I, I love what you said about Donald Sutherland and I'm going to bring him up again in a, uh, another film that's going to be coming up is I have thoughts about that. So cool. All right, guys, let's go ahead Almost ended the show there. <laughs> All right, let's take a time warp some buttons there. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, let's take a step back in time in 1984. Fuel up that DeLorean with a flux capacitor, slingshot around the sun aboard that captured Klingon bird of prey. Take a step into that blue police box or phone booth. Step into that quantum leap accelerator or my favorite, take a dip in that hot tub time machine. We travel back to 1984. We're going to remind you what was happening in pop culture, sports, politics, television, and, of course, the movies of 1984. Now, I know there's a movie called 1984. We'll be getting to that later. Uh, R.S. Fry would say, not sure if 1984 or Brave New World. <laughs> uh, back in 1984, some stuff was happening. First of all, the uh, cost of living in 84, how much do things cost? The yearly inflation rate was at 4.3%. Average cost of a new house is about $86,000. Uh, your Dodge Ram truck was about $9,000 back then, guys. Um, I'm thinking $50,000 $50, now for maybe the Dodge Ram truck. I'm just kind of guessing yeah. a little higher than that, Kyle. Kind of 65, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Our bacon by the pound was $1.69 back in 1984. Um, also, too, Ronald Reagan, still a president there, and George uh, H. W. Bush, of course, our vice president. Warren E. Berger is our chief justice and speaker of the house is Mr. Tip O'Neill. And also got some uh, some news here. February 3rd, Dr. John Buster and his research team at Harbor UCLA Medical Center announced the birth of a healthy baby. 
The baby is the first successful result of embryo transfer, where a fertilized egg is transferred from one woman to another. This method differs from test tube embryos, where the egg is fertilized outside the woman's body in a lab. On February 7th, an untethered spacewalk is made by astronauts Bruce McCandles II and Robert L. Stewart during NASA's STS-41-B space mission. Rather than be attached to the sh uh, shuttle, the astronauts control the propulsion using specially designed jetpacks. Jetpacks! Jetpacks! I'm sorry, Kyle, but didn't they do that in Moonraker first? It could have been. I, I just keep thinking how much I always wanted a G.I. Joe jet. I know, right? Yes. <laughs> February 8th, the opening ceremony of the Olympic Winter Games are held in Sarajevo, uh, Yugoslavia. Uh, I'm not, I don't even know what Roman numerals that is. So I'm just going to uh, just say it's Sarajevo because I do remember that city. Uh, on Valentine's Day, February 14th, one of the most famous events in 1984, Torville and Dean enter the record books by scoring a perfect scoring perfectly across the board, winning a gold medal for ice skating. And uh, during those Winter Olympics, over 49 nations took part, more National Olympic Committee than any preceding Winter Olympics. And uh-oh, February 26th in Florida, the beauty queen killer murders his first victim. Christopher Wilde uh, goes on to commit at least seven more homicides of aspiring models over the space of several, several seven weeks. Kyle and, and Lacey, if I remember correctly, this was one of the guys that was possibly suspected of. Remember there was an actress in, uh, what was it, Spring Break movie that came out in 1983 that was the model on the cover and then she mm -hmm. was uh, found missing completely. Mm -hmm. He was one of the names that I think was brought up as a possible suspect, but they were never able to, uh, you know, figure out who did that murder, if I remember correctly. So, hmm. yeah. um, February 26th, U.S. troops pull out of Beirut. Their presence was originally a bid to restore peace among warring Christian and Muslim factions within Lebanon. All right. We've got some births of some famous people in 1984 and in February of 1984, Cecily Strong, actress and comedian, of course, had a long stint on Saturday Night Live. Uh, now she's in, uh, is it Brigadoon? Or what is that? Um, Schmigadoon. Uh, say that again. Schmigadoon. Schmigadoon, yes, with uh, um, uh, P. Uh, I'm sorry. What's his name? Keegan Michael Key. Keegan Michael Key, that's right. Otherwise known as Obama's uh, anger um, translator. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Aubrey O'Day, singer and actress, also has a birthday in February. And Mark Foster, singer and composer, frontman of Foster for the People. We also had some celebrity deaths in 1984. Um, I had some of these I don't even know. Uh, I'm just going to put some out there. El Santo, Mexican professional wrestler. Uh, Jorge Gillian. Uh, Spanish poet, uh, Carol Mijon, a Dutch uh, boxer. Trying to see if there's any Americans on here. Here we go. Ethel Merman. There we go. I know who she is. American singer and actress. She was born in 1908. Uh, other than that, there's a lot of people I don't know on here. Do uh, these names uh, jump out at you, Lacey? Anna Anderson. She was the woman that, that uh, claimed she was Anastasia. The, oh, uh, pretender to yeah. the Russian throne. Yes. Thank I you. Think, thank I think that's, I remember there being like, um, you know, the, she was disappeared forever. And then she came out saying that she was the, you know, there was a whole big, yeah. 
she was born in 1918, excuse me, 1896. Yeah. All right. Let's get into uh, some technology. We always like to throw a few out there. And um, this is where I lean to Kyle. (laughs) I don't know these. Uh, First of all, we have Grolier Prehistoria CD-ROM came out uh, uh, during this time for music. The CD compact disc had come out in 1981 for data. The big date is 1984 when Phillips introduced the CD-ROM. The last part stands for read only memory in the late eighties and early nineties, affordable computer CD-ROM drives will enable multimedia encyclopedias, games, novels, and such. Kyle, this is the birth of the CD-ROM. What do you know about this? It was Phillips who really kind of, Pushed this technology a lot through the 80s and even into the early 90s in the video game system when they tried to do their own 3DO game system. But I mean, the big thing was always like the they did it was always educational stuff. It wasn't until probably Mist and the CD-ROM as far as games really it went to another level. But you always, people love these encyclopedias or these um, different things because they had videos in them of the creatures and thing thing of the things and it was it was as much as like the first kind of like watching tv to to learn on the computer you know i the first disc game computer disc game i remember playing was warcraft and warcraft 2 those i loved and i remember that was a big deal in the mid 90s and stuff but yeah this is it the uh you know and it was great about these because you can pack them in with your cds you know just got to be careful about um you know getting them mixed up (laughs) yep Next, we have the compact tape cartridge, memory and storage. Uh, and the compact tape is introduced, originally developed by Digital Equipment Corporation for its VAX, VAX family of computers. The drive wrote 22 data tracks back and forth on a half-inch wide tape and originally held 92 MBs of data. Is that megabytes, Kyle? <laughs> that would be megabytes. It replaces the 1960s era DEC tape. And its usage grew rapidly in the mid-1990s. It evolved into a digital linear tape, DLT, and was widely used in medium and large-sized local area networks. DLT technology was purchased by Quantum in 1994, and nearly 20 years after its introduction, the Super DLT could hold up to 80, excuse me, 800 gigabytes of data. You know know what's sad is that I just filled an 18-terabyte hard drive with the Dolby. You didn't finish your sentence, Kyle, because you were laughing at your own joke. Yeah, because I didn't even, I, I still didn't get everything I needed to. Huh? <laughs> what, what, say what you, what you did, but finish it. Finish your thought there. Well, uh, I mean, these things really never took off like other, other types of storage did. And I mean, the fact that, I mean, it's, it was tape. And it just, I know a lot of businesses try to use these for things, but. It just never and really Kyle, took off. You just homies. tried to fill up what? How much again? 18 terabytes. 18 terabytes. Thanks. <laughs> and how big is that thing? Like, you can hold it in your hand, right? <laughs> oh, no. It's, a, it's about, about a little square, like about this big. Yeah. Oh, God. Good stuff. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Let's go ahead and hit into products that were introduced in 1984. <laughs> All right, we have Air Jordan and Canfield's Diet Chocolate 
fudge. Now, we all know the Air Jordans, especially those red and white ones right there. Uh, there was recent a movie called Air that came out that talked about this. Uh, um, that was really good, and, and they did a good job of uh, talking about how this is when athletes are really being targeted uh, to promote products. But this Canfield's Diet Chocolate Fudge, guys, never heard of this or remember this. Do you guys remember this? Uh, Lacey's shaking. You're nodding your head. Yes. Tell us, Lacey. Yeah. You know, I remember there being like the, like my teacher would have one. It was like a weight loss supplement drink. It was kind of like pre slim fast. Um, but it was one of the, um, if you look at the little corner of the thing, it says hundred percent NutraSweet. So NutraSweet was just, okay. you know, before they started, you know, before it started killing mice and stuff and giving them cancer. <laughs> so- NutraSweet is, this was like one of the, one of the big items that had NutraSweet in it. So on Wikipedia, it says here, Canfield's Diet Chocolate Fudge Soda is a zero-calorie aspartame sweetened carbonated soft drink canned and distributed by the A.J. Canfield Company in Illinois, Division of Select Beverages. Production of the Midwestern United States is handled by the American Bottling Company in a subsidiary, sub, uh, subsidiary of Keurig, Dr. Pepper, and distribution of foods. So... I guess originally it was introduced in 1972. Uh, but yeah, I don't know when this ended here, uh, but it was reintroduced in 1984. <laughs> so yeah, I've, I I don't want to try that. Anyone got one on eBay that we can buy? Let's check it out. <laughs> you, you go for that. That's all you, man. <laughs> what, you don't want to open up like those old packs of cards that have gum in it and try the you gum? Know, you know what that yeah, reminds me of? It reminds me of that movie with... Um, uh, with the uh, the road with uh, what what Aragorn and the kid and he like finds a coke and there it's like twelve years into the apocalypse. Oh, the road! Yeah, God, that movie was depressing. Like, that was what tough this? And he's like, it's a treat, and she's like, mm. oh. I'm like, yeah, because after twelve years, ew. <laughs> Next, we have totally tubular '80s toys, guys, and we got a couple here to talk about. The first one we have is. Sweet Secrets. Sweet Secrets. Then we've got Talk and Play, the electronic Talk and Play, and the <laughs> the A-Team van at a cool price of $69.99. I think, Kyle, you probably would have had this up in Alaska, if I'm guessing correctly. Here. Uh, that would be no, and uh, <laughs> that, that van looks an awful lot like a truck to me, Kevin. <laughs> I know, it's, it's saying, well, the A-Team van made into a truck for kids, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> Uh, cruise with the with the with the what does it say here? Cruise with the power of the direct drive pedal action on the eighteen van, four by four styling with high gloss finish and a full color photo of the eighteen on the hood. Has Kevin, plastic body with independent roll suspension. I, I'm just gonna say, give me my big wheel with my spin out lever. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> the green machine is that what it was? Green machine all the way. I got to say that talk and play though. Uh, I'm sure this thing was probably abused for other reasons. Maybe you put a metal tape in it. Maybe you're recording stuff, even though it has big bird on the, on the picture here. <laughs> yeah. And these little sweet secret dolls. Um, yeah. I don't, it's just I don't. the packaging. It looks like it's not a child's thing. No. Like it's called, yes. It's called sweet secrets, and there's some like stuff on the cover. I'm like, what kind of secrets are we it's, talking about here? It says on the thing, it says comb bed set, 
jeweled comb transformed into beautiful bed. So yeah, and then you put your little sweet secrets uh, doll toys in there, I guess. An affordable, transformable world comb bed set. All right. You know what that was? That was all the boys had transformers, so they had to make a girl one. Because <laughs> it was 1994, <laughs> and, and, and like they couldn't, girls weren't supposed to play with transformers, so they had to have a little baby doll comb brush action. I think you're absolutely right. All right. Well, guys, let's get into some music here. All right. We're going to talk about some Duran Duran. Um, ever hear of them? They are huge, especially right now in February of 1984. Duran Duran Timeline. The Silver Blue, uh, the Sing Blue Silver Tour goes to America accompanied by a documentary crew. Duran Duran plays arenas in stadiums in Japan, Canada, and the U.S. on the Sing Blue Silver Tour. A documentary and a concert film are shot along the way. The live album Arena is released with the new studio single, The Wild Boys, as John and Andy begin working on their hard rock side project, Power Station. Duran Duran appears on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine under the headline, The Fab Five? Now, I have a picture up here of that Rolling Stone guys, but I also have a picture of the concert ticket that was held at the Fabulous Forum, which is in L.A., and I've seen many, many concerts and Laker games there. And the date on this ticket was Tuesday, February 7th, 1984, at 7.30 p.m. And I'm trying to see if there's a price on that ticket there. Oh, $13.50 for that ticket. <laughs> I don't know who opened up for them, but uh, I'm very familiar with that arena. Um, thoughts on Duran Duran, Kyle? Uh, they were like it, especially in that about that time. I mean, Hungry Like the Wolf, amazing music videos, dominating the radio play. Um, the only thing that was, I'm sorry, I have to go with sports reference. Fat Five. I don't see Chris Weber anywhere in there. Or Jalen Rose. Uh, different <laughs> generational thing. Different fad five. <laughs> apparently it's something that I don't have any clue about. It's a, it's a sports no ball thing. Oh, sports ball. Yeah, go team, go. Go team, go. Gotcha. Right on. Um, I saw Duran Duran live. Um, if you want to feel old, I saw them at Chastain Amphitheater about seven or eight years ago for their reunion tour. Nice. And, How was it? Uh, it was literally the entire... <laughs> The entire amphitheater um, was like people my age and older with like their bottles of wine and their picnic baskets. It was, of course. I like that. I, I've been to that venue. That's, I think I saw Poison yeah. and Cheap Trick there, if I remember correctly. <laughs> just another sad state of health. We're just growing older. <laughs> so uh, at the top of that Rolling Stone says Pacino finally talks. Dennis Wilson, 1944 to 1983, rest in peace. And Wayne Gretzky. And this is when Rolling Stone was $1.50, by the way. And this wow. issue was dated February 2nd, 1984. I, I, I have to. This is when, like, nobody cared about hockey, but everybody knew who Wayne Gretzky was. You and I knew who that was. Next, guys, we have Culture Club. Culture Club, February 4th. Culture Club's Karma Chameleon hits number one on the U.S. Billboard chart and remains there for three weeks. And then the Thompson Twins. Love these guys. February 25th, Thompson Twins debut at number one on the U.K. Albums chart with Into the Gap. The album would also 
top the chart of two following weeks and remain on the chart for 38 consecutive weeks until November. And for those of you that don't know, Thompson Twins was named after two characters, bumbling detectives, the Thompson Twins, on the Tintin um, uh, graphic novel series. And they're also in the movie as well uh, that came out. Kyle? Would we consider this Apex Mountain for Boy George? Yeah, you know, yeah, I think I think Boy George, yeah, probably. But uh, they still, uh, that band still kind of has a few more years left in it. But definitely, definitely. I'm stoked that he just, uh, wait, is he going by they now? Am I messing someone's pronouns? I'm not sure. I don't know. I'm going to go with they in case. Okay, so they are now um, uh, cast in the Broadway um, play for Moulin Rouge. They're playing the ringmaster. They're getting ready to start. Um, So I'm very excited about that. That's going to be awesome if I can get up there and see it. That's going to be amazing. In more music news, Michael Jackson, February 28th, recovering from the scalp burn sustained a month earlier, as we talked in the last episode in January of Time Warp 1984. Michael Jackson wins eight Grammy Awards out of 12 nominations at the 26th Annual Grammy Awards, breaking the record for the most Grammys won in a single year. He wins seven for the album Thriller, including Album of the Year and Record of the Year. Uh, for Beat It, and one for his work on the audiobook for the film E.T. the Extraterrestrial. <laughs> I didn't realize that. Uh, and also hosted by John Denver, this year's Grammy uh, uh, Summer receives the highest rating ratings in the awards body history, a record currently unmatched, along with the awards received by Michael Jackson. The police, ev- the police, every breath you take wins song of the year while culture club wins best new artist. And rather, by the way, on Netflix right now, make sure you check out uh, the greatest night in pop because a year later in 85, we are the world is done. And the way that they uh, had to organize that night of the American music awards and get all of these artists to do that is amazing. Make sure you check it out. It is on Netflix, The Greatest Night of Pop. Cool. Other news. February 14th, Elton John marries studio engineer uh, Renaud Blau. I don't know. I probably just <laughs> mispronounced that name. Uh, Joe Perry and Brad Whitford attend an Aerosmith concert and rejoin the band, ah, which embarks on a reunion tour back in the saddle later in the year. February 16th, Jerry Lee Lewis surrenders to federal authorities on charges of income tax evasion. Lewis is later acquitted. And uh, February 29th, German industrial band KMFDM is founded and holds its first performance at the Grand Palais in Paris, France. We always like to uh, talk about the biggest hits as well for uh, the Billboard hits of... uh, 1984, the top 100, and we like to pick a few at a time, guys. And we have uh, 92 through 85, with 92, Dancing in the Sheets by Shalimar, uh, Got a Hold on Me by Christine McVie, Tonight by Cool and the Gang, The Longest Time, Billy Joel, Head Over Heels by The Go-Go's, Round and Round by Rat, Pink Houses by John Cougar Mellencamp, and wrapped around your finger by the police. Kyle, any of these jump at you? Some of your favorites in this group? Um, there's definitely some good ones here. I mean, wrapped around your finger. When you have me wrapped around your finger, we can be dancing in the sheets in the little pink houses. <laughs> I, was, I was waiting for that, Kyle, and you did not disappoint. Thank you for that. But no, I, I'm seriously, 
Dancing in the Sheets is kind of one of those great 80s guilty pleasure songs. It's got a great beat to it. It's got the synthesizer going. Calamar is probably only major hit, but I mean, then you go with Wrap Around Your Finger, which is just an all-time classic. Yeah, good call. Lacey, what about you? Any of these uh, ring a bell with you that you like? Well, for me, the longest time, Billy Joel is always one of my favorites, but round and round. Like, I just, I remember rap. Like, that was when I was just starting to get into, like, yes. you know, yeah. metal. <laughs> No. Yeah, round and round by Rat. Rat was taken off at this time, and they were uh, they uh, they are one of the uh, the best hair metal era bands. Uh, and we've of course recently talked about them uh, on our uh, hair metal draft super group draft that we did on the hair metal podcast. And he uh, was one of the singers that was drafted. So yeah, definitely one of my I got it. One of my favorites I like on here, guys, is "Got a Hold on Me" by Christine McVie. Actually, like her voice better than Stevie Nicks uh, in um, in just in general. I just I love Christine McVie's voice. Just gonna throw it at you. Love I don't I love I love uh, Stevie Nicks, but there's just something about Christine McVie. Great song, I like that one as well. Yeah. What do you say we get into some television, guys? Let's do it. 1984 in television and debuting this year or during this time was The Spitting Image, 1984. Uh, and I think also, is it, um, was it a Peter Gabriel song that used? No, Genesis. I, I, have, I have info here. So Go ahead, Kyle. This, go, go. This, this show inspired two guys by the name of Sid and Marty Croft to create their own puppets, which first appeared in the Genesis Land of Confusion video. Thank you. That video was so popular, it led to that being spun off into a syndicated TV series with um, oh Fred Willard called DC Follies, where it was about a bar in in Washington, D.C., and they had all these puppets of celebrities and former presidents and everything like that who were the characters. And Fred Willard was the only human, actual human character with the occasional guest star popping in. But yeah, it spun <laughs> off a lot of things. Yeah. It was like the politically incorrect Muppets. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, yeah, and, and very, uh, very much so. I'm I'm sorry to say this too, but they were also very horrifying. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> All right, top rated United States television programs from '84 to '85, guys, and uh, we like to pick a few at a time here to talk about this. And at number 25 is Monday Night Football, otherwise known as Sports Ball Go by Lacey. But Kyle, <laughs> this is a big deal. Uh, Monday Night Football still going on. Yeah, we were getting towards the end of the Howard Cosell era here soon, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Of course, it was Howard, Dandy, Don, Meredith, and um, Frank Gifford. I think, yeah, I think G- 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 Gifford maybe. And then there was a lot of this. Was, this was kind of the end. This we're kind of hitting the end of one era of Monday Night Football, and a couple of years later, we'd start with getting the Al Michaels and the. Frank Gifford and the Dan Deerdorf. It, it was a big deal to take a Sunday sports and go, you know what? Let's throw one more game out, but on Monday night, let's make that the last game of the week. So just funny story about Monday night football growing up in Alaska. It was tape delayed by three hours. Ouch. <laughs> well, God. no, but here's the, here's you the and Roster Kyle <laughs> felt like it. Um, what once the advent of cable and, if you remember back in the day, CNN would do sports things like every, like at the nine minutes after the hour and eight, uh, uh, like at 
540 or like at the 49th minute. And if you want, you could go get the results of the game in advance. And people would do this in Alaska when cable wasn't really known about. And then go bet the game and win big money. <laughs> That's not allowed anymore, Kyle. No. <laughs> well, it wasn't allowed back then, but you know. <laughs> All right. Next we have, and I had never seen uh, uh, one of these shows. We have Remington Steel and Webster. Very, very popular uh, at this time. And I got to tell you, I went and watched uh, the first episode of Remington Steel. And it was kind of fun. I enjoyed it. Ba basically, he's a he's a thief. But the author of the uh, play, uh, what's her name? I'm drawing a blank. Um, Stephanie. Stephanie Powers. Zimbal oh. You're Zimbalist. Stephanie Zimbalist. Zimbalist. Stephanie Zimbalist. Yeah. Okay. So she has, she's a popular uh, author and she has this character named Remington Steele and people are like, who's Remington Steele? Who's it, who's it, who's it about? And so they kind of work together on this charade uh, and he's Remington Steele basically, right? <laughs> All I remember from this show originally was like, this was the show of reason why we couldn't get him to be James Bond sooner. Hmm. Pierce Brosnan. But I really did enjoy the first episode. It was interesting. Uh, Lacey, your thoughts on Remington Steele? Love Remington Steel. It, it's kind of in that sweet spot between, you know, Riptide and um, and uh, Simon and Simon and uh, Scarecrow and Mrs. King. Like there's kind of this kind of confluence of, you know, the male female, you know, duo. And it's interesting. This one actually gave the female character a little bit more agency than some of the other ones, uh, which was yep. nice uh, as a you know young female person in the uh, early '80s. But um, yeah, they were fun. Yep, Kyle, what do you remember of Remington Steel? You know, I think it was one of those ones that I kind of jumped on a little later, like when it was on syndication. But I'm kind of like you, Kevin. It was kind of—I always, to me, was a show that prevented us from getting Pierce Brosnan as Remington Steel much sooner than, or as um, James Bond much sooner than we should have. Yeah, because that contract that he had. But I, I found it charming, though. I did like it. I would be interested in diving into some uh, um, uh, episodes and kind of checking it out. Stephanie Zimbalist, that's her name, Zimbalist, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Very cute, very charming. Uh, great, strong character, too. And uh, I liked her. I thought she was good. So, yeah. Webster, I did watch with Emmanuel Lewis for a while. Uh, I don't, I just, I didn't finish the show. I didn't follow it all the way through. Uh, but I don't know. I just, it, it, I just didn't follow through with it. Kyle, your thoughts on Webster? I, I thought it was a fun show that was in the, kind of in the syndicated realm. But, I mean, this was at a time when you kind of had two guy, two former NFL players, both kind of taking on similar roles because you had Alex Karras and Webster, but you had Dick Buckus spot popping up in a lot of things too. But yes. I will say this: Alex uh, um, Emmanuel Lewis stole Gary Coleman's spot, and he did with without even trying hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He kind of just slid in there and went, "Sorry, Gary," and elbowed him out. <laughs> you know. It's one of those things to watch it back then as a kid and, and, you know, just love it because it was like fun and sweet and, you know, and then you, you get to the point where you realize that George and ma'am, first of all, they were married in, in real life yeah, and mm -hmm. they met on the set of Porky's where she played a prostitute and he played the, the police officer. Yep. So you kind of look at it and you go, Oh, Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Those are completely different. I mean, it was just such a role reversal. So it was kind of, um, you know, Susan Clark was her name. to look back. Yeah. 
This is the Fandom Podcast Network, and we are discussing the movies of 1984 on Time Warp. What do you say we get into some movies? But first, movie news, guys. This is fascinating. February 15th, 1984, Walt Disney Studios establishes Touchstone Pictures to release films with more mature subject matter than the traditional Walt Disney Pictures banner. This was kind of a big deal, guys, because movies are starting to come out that were like, like you know, more an adult in nature. And Splash, which comes out on March 9th, which we'll be discussing next month, is the first Touchstone release, followed by Country later in the year, in September. Uh, now, keep in mind, too, they, this is a partnership with some other productions like Far West Productions, Silver Screens Partners, uh, then Baby... Uh, Secret of the Lost Legend in 85, My Science Project in uh, 85, and I believe, Kyle and Lacey, the first R-rated film was Down and Out in Beverly Hills in January 31st, 1986, followed by some other highlights like Ruthless People, Tough Guys, Color of Money, Outrageous Fortune, Tin Men, Ernest Goes to Camp, Adventures in Babysitting, Stakeout, Can't Buy Me Love, uh, Three Men and a Baby, Good Morning Vietnam, Shoot to Kill, DOA, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Cocktail. It just the list goes on and on of touchstone release films where you're going to get an R rated for a movie that's being um, promoted basically by Disney, but through touchstone pictures. Kyle, your thoughts on this? It's interesting because Disney's still trying to figure this kind of formula out. It was so, touchstone was actually a very powerful studio for most of. The mid to late 80s and even into the early 90s um but it, it, disney sold i can't disney sold it or shut it down and disney to this day is still trying to figure out the best way to get mature content out if you think about it right now with streaming they're using hulu which they acquired as part of the fox deal as kind of their version of adult where, where you can go to yeah. adult things but now they've merged hulu into disney plus which is interesting and then they just can't seem to figure out how they want to handle mature content. And it, it, they never yeah, really and then they want to throw sports. It. They want to throw sports in there, but not all the sports with, yeah. with, with ESPN plus, you well, know, and, which doesn't I, have the good stuff. You speaking know, speaking of that real quick, ESPN time Warner and discovery just announced their merger. They're going to start a new sports streaming service, which you can bundle with Hulu and Disney plus. So I don't of know what the heck is going on. Uh, yeah, it's weird stuff. Uh, well, Lacey. that's what happened is originally it was the three or four channels that you got. Then cable came along and said, we're going to get all these channels. And we're going to put them together and we're going to make this huge package. And then streaming came along after Blu-rays and DVDs because people were going their own way. Yeah, well, they we didn't even know what streaming was in 1984. Well, but do you, Lacey, do, Lacey, do you remember this whole Touchstones thing and how it was like, you know, oh, no. Disney's actually releasing an R-rated film. Wasn't there a big deal about Splash because it was Ron Howard directed and the one the movie he did right before that was um, Night Shift? And it, people were like, <laughs> I, well, dare they? What? I can't remember. I don't remember that personally. I just remember huh. an, uh, Disney re- helping to release an R-rated film, which, which was a big deal. Down now, you want to know what movie was actually kind of led to them? Thinking, hey, we need something for more mature stuff. Was Dragon Slayer? Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. There you go. Okay. Well, 
along with movies, guys, before we actually get to the movies, we got some people that were in movie debuts, celebrity film debuts. And Jennifer Connelly, Once Upon a Time in America. John Cryer, No Small Affair. Uh, Isaac D. Uh, Bancole, Asphalt Warriors. Johnny Depp, not a musician, apparently, according to this network. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> the inside joke. Go watch uh, Aaron Riddle podcast. Uh, Tate Donovan in No Small Affair as well. Um, yeah, we'll be talking about some of this stuff. Uh, any thoughts on these uh, celebrity uh, um, Some very big stuff? names there. Obviously, Jennifer Connelly, John Cryer, um, Johnny Depp, Tate Donovan. I mean, they're I all they're all pretty. What's that, Lacey? Um, yeah, I know everybody except for Isaac Debancole. I don't know. I mean, I feel like I would. I don't know, it sounds familiar, but I couldn't tell you who he was or she. As was it Isaac? Maybe that's yeah. Who knows? So, as we always do before we go into films, we let people know that there might be a couple of films on the cutting room floor that we're not going to really talk about for whatever reason, and there is two that uh, we will mention briefly. But uh, let's get into the big stuff here, guys. For Time Warp 1984 Part 2, the 40th anniversary, movies and pop culture for February 1984. And the first film is called Stranger's Kiss. Uh, this is a, a, a kind of a very low-budget film. I found it streaming, I believe it was on YouTube, and the plot synopsis goes, to help his actress girlfriend regain her confidence, a Hollywood big shot bankrolls a small-budget film being made by a first-time producer and director pair. Despite the hand-to-mouth way it has to be made, the film starts to... Uh, starts to come good, as does the offset relationship between the actresses, the actress and her unknown male lead. Director Matthew Chapman stars Peter Coyote, Victoria Tennant, and Blaine Novak. Um, uh, Lacey, have you seen Stranger's Kiss? I don't think I have. Um, but the funny thing was, I mistook it for something else once again. Um, for some reason, when I saw the the, the photo on the notes. In my head, it was Melanie Griffith and um, D Donald Sutherland, and I and I, I'm sitting there going, "Why do I know? Like I know I've seen this. I know I've seen this, and I couldn't. And for the life of me, I can't figure out what movie Donald Sutherland and Melanie Griffith were in together. Um, well, they're, 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 they're together. <laughs> they are not in this film, uh, but I am a big Peter uh, Peter Coyote fan. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I got to say though, this movie. It's definitely low budget. It, it yeah. is, uh, yeah. the The guy who really kind of steals it, I think, is Blaine Novak, uh, who is the one that's having the relationship with this actress. And I believe it takes place during the forties or fifties, if I remember correctly. Uh, you know. Let me just go over some trivia real quick here. The film was shot with a very low budget. They had no money for sound editing, but the producer got those services for free. That was because some new equipment had just been installed and the lab needed a project to test the new setup. So they used this project. And the movie was inspired by Stanley Kubrick's Killer Kiss, 1955. The picture is based on the making of that movie. The name of the fictitious producer in the film within a film is Ferris, the producer of Killer's Kiss, was James B. Harris. However, the uh, the timid and much 
uh, put on Ferris bears little resemblance to Harris. And the motion picture opens the title card reading Hollywood 1955. This was the same year that Stanley Kubrick's movie Killer Kiss 1955 was launched. Um, kind of boring, but Victoria Tennant uh, charming in it. I just got to mention, I, I I believe she was, was it was she the one that was in um, L.A. Story, if I remember correctly? Yes. I think, and then. I think, yeah, yeah. That, that's where I was remembering her I from. But, Victoria uh, Tennant and um, Steve Martin were, mar were married for a time. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. I'm not sure. Um, I think so. Kyle, you're back with us here. Have you ever seen Stranger's Kiss? It's a little weird. Kyle, is your audio on? don't know if it is or not. All right. All right. We'll wait for Kyle to <laughs> fix his audio there. Uh, Stranger's Kiss, yeah, it's a miss for me. You don't have to watch it again, definitely. Definitely very low budget, but I do like Peter Coyote, and he will be coming up again later this year. Mm -hmm. The next film that we have here is called Reckless. I was very curious about this. Uh, came out uh, February 3rd, uh, made a, uh, between six to seven million dollars in the theater. And I, I'm going to read on the poster here real quick. Girls like Tracy never tell their parents about guys like Rourke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and this stars Aiden Quinn, Daryl Hannah, Kenneth McMillan, Adam Baldwin, Clifty Young, and Jennifer Grey a motorbike riding loner rebel on a high school football team wins a date with a cute, rich cheerleader at the high school dance. Her boyfriend's behavior leads to a breakup opening doors for Mr. Aiden Quinn. He's the, he's the mysterious guy here. How is your sound back up? Yeah. I uh, had a little technical difficulty here. So my apologies. To That's right. Glad to have you back. Uh, Kyle, do you have some trivia here for reckless? Uh, I do have some trivia here for Reckless. We have got in one scene, we see that Tracy has a Jackson Brown poster in her room. Daryl Hannah was dating Brown at the time. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> um, after seeing Aiden Quinn in this film, director Martin Scorsese hired him to play the, the lead central role of Jesus in the original Paramount Pictures development of The Last Temptation of Christ, which later got canceled. Quinn has said Marty quite liked Reckless. Uh, I mean, he said, I hate this kind of movie, but he thought Jamie Foley did a really good job for a first try. Um, it was the de debut for uh, in feature film of actor Aiden Quinn and actress Jennifer Grey. Um, and Kevin Bacon was offered the role of Johnny Rourke, but turned it down in favor of a movie we'll be talking about very shortly. All right. So, guys, I was curious about this film. I found it streaming on YouTube, if I remember correctly. First of all, before I go into it, Lacey, have you seen Reckless? Oh, yeah. I've got the Blu-ray up there. Of course you do. You're my hero. <laughs> <laughs> I, I may consider buying this. Um, it's it's a sexy film, guys. There's a lot of loving going on in this one. There right? is. So, you know, there's, a I, lot of, there's a lot of nudity between the two stars, and there's like a there's like a, a pool scene, and then there's a let's go into the boiler room scene. I mean... It, Lacey, your thoughts on Reckless? It's so funny. Um, I think that this is one of those movies where if you watch it for the first time now, it's going to seem so, so emo. But Aiden Quinn, for this being his first film, like he was straight out of, I guess, theater school. I don't know. Maybe he was not. I don't know. He was also straight out of handsome school, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Super, <laughs> super beautiful man. Um, but it was like his character was the most emo of emo. Like everything was like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> it was, and it was so oh, yeah. 
I don't know, like for the time it was perfect, but watching it now, it, it's, there's some scenes where I'm like, it was just, it's a little cringy. Like nowadays yeah. it's, um, yeah. it's, it's such a good flick. And it was, it was one of those that kind of, um, you know, does the Blu-ray have any special features on it? You know? Yeah. There's a bunch of stuff on it. Um, I would get it, but I can't. don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I'm curious about it. Cause, <laughs> Behind cause me, Kyle, have you, Kyle, have you seen reckless? I think I saw Reckless back in the video store days, but it's not something I've hunted out and watched in a very long time. Um, the thing I remember, I mean, this this was kind of really trying to get Daryl Hannah on the map. Yeah, because the, the next month comes out, she's doing Splash. Yeah, so <laughs> this, is, this is early apex of Daryl Hannah. This is this is when Daryl Hannah got the attention of every man. I, Every bread blooded well, American man out she's there. She's showing some skin in this film. So, yeah, yeah, she's getting some attention. Lacey. I'm pretty sure that Splash was filmed before this and then released after. I, probably. Like, some yeah. Sort of, yeah. Um, but I, I dig that Reckless poster, especially the black and white with the mm -hmm. red Reckless font. That thing looks really cool. That's, mm -hmm. that's neat. I love that. And I had the original, like the one on the, on the right is the. Remember, uh, every once in a while at the video store, there'd be like the the hard case that had the puffy, the puffy case inside. Oh yeah. Yep. That yep. Was. I've had this on VHS. I've had it on, on DVD and now I have it on Blu-ray. Like this is look at Lacey owning the naughty films. I love yeah. it. <laughs> okay, it's naughty for an 80s film. It is not naughty now. <laughs> All right. Next guys, we have unfaithfully yours romantic comedy made just under $20 million, which would make it a success starring Dudley Moore and Natasha uh, Kinski. Uh, unfaithfully yours. And the poster says, see it with someone you trust. A composer suspects his wife of cheating. He plots to kill her and frame it on her lover. Directed by Howard Zeep. Uh, stars Dudley Moore, Nat Natasha Kinski, Armin Asante, and Albert Brooks. I, Lacey, do you have this on DVD or Blu-ray? I used to have it on VHS. And um, I don't think I ever got it on DVD, but... Um, I've seen it. I have to, I have to ask nowadays because I'm afraid you're just going to, I'm going to go, oh, I can't find this anywhere like I couldn't. And you're going to pop it up again, which I wish you would do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 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 I could, it, it was, it was on, it was on HBO for like a million years. Like every three weeks it was on HBO again. So I, I know I've seen it a dozen well, times. I tried to find it. I couldn't. YouTube though had the trailers, different trailers. But what apparently this movie's famous for is a very funny violin duel between Dudley Moore and Armin Asante, if I remember correctly, or is it Albert Brooks? And you can watch that on YouTube. Uh, that's very entertaining. But um, first of all, I got to ask Kyle, have you seen this? I, I don't think I have, but it has Natasha Kinski in it. And uh, that's always bonus points for me. Uh, give us some trivia on Unfaithful Yours, please, Kyle. Uh, uh, trivia. Let's see here. Um, Dudley Moore, who plays an orchestra conductor, shadowed Bill Conte, who wrote the film score, to actually learn the technique used to conduct a sympathy orchestra. In the original poster art and on the DVD cover, Kinski wears a glamorous red sequence cocktail dress that never appears in the finished film. That's a crime. Um, co comedy star Dudley Moore, who plays the piano in this film, in real life was an accomplished pianist. Yeah, I know that was a big thing with him. I did find an interview with him. Uh, some I forget, don't remember the girl that was interviewing him, and uh, they were asking him about this film. And then they talked about how like he wasn't an American citizen. I don't know if he ever became one. Uh, he joked about being an illegal alien, making a lot of movies, and 
he has another movie that's coming out soon that we're going to talk about. He's, he was very, very busy during this time. I'm not the biggest Dudley Moore fan, but I do respect him, uh, especially all the work that he's done. And like, as you mentioned, he's an accomplished um, uh, musician as well. Lacey, your thoughts on uh, Unfaithfully Yours? Um, I love, I love Dudley Moore. I think he's fantastic. He's been in so many, just so many. Uh, he's, he's, he's one of those guys that has a, he has a role. And if he, if he's tagged to play that role, it's perfect. You know, I mean, he's, he's so good in these kind of roles where he's, it's, it's, he's, he's scheming and bumbling at the same time, but lovably so. And you think he's probably an alcoholic at some point because he's just, you know, <laughs> not, not in real yeah. life. I'm, I'm like the character, like it's just, it's right. really funny. Yeah. Next we have blame it on Rio, uh, starring Michael Caine, uh, Joseph Bologna, uh, Valerie Harper, Michelle Johnson, and Demi Moore. And best friends and their daughter's vacation in Rio de Janeiro, only for one to fall for the other's daughter, directed by Stanley uh, Donan. And as I mentioned, Michael Caine, uh, Michelle Johnson, Demi Moore, Valerie Harper, and Joseph uh, uh, Bologna. I had never seen this film before, guys. And what's funny is I was looking for it, and I think it's streaming on... Oh, to be maybe or amazon it is free somewhere but i do have i do have it on dvd but it's with a compilation of easy money throw mama from the train and the woman in red which we'll be discussing later this year because that one also came out so i had to pull it from this dvd thing here i didn't see how much it's worth on ebay like i did what was it would you say angel trilogy that we talked about last oh, yeah, month like was worth like, bucks or something yeah brand new yeah mm -hmm. uh Pleasantly surprised by this. Didn't realize how much nudity was going to be in it as well. Uh, Michael Caine was hilarious in this. I love the fact that it is all filmed on location in, in Rio. And I love Rio as a, as a location to shoot. Uh, Lacey, what are your thoughts on um, Blame It on Rio? And then Kyle, when we get to you, I want you to talk about the trivia. You know, I don't think I ever got to see this movie. I think it came out when I was slightly too young because 84 would have been, I would have been 11. And I don't know that I've ever had it on, on disc or on, on cassette. I know I've seen like trailers for it or like little, little bits and bobs of it, you know, here and there, but I don't think I've ever actually seen it all the way through. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And um, I tried to, but I couldn't find it. You said it's on Tubi. Uh, yeah. It's, it's streaming somewhere for free. I, I, it is a fun, it's a fun movie, fun, fun movie to watch. And, uh, mm -hmm you know, with two guys and their daughters going and it's, uh, the, it's, it's Michael Caine who is going through a, uh, a divorce or he has been divorced. Remember correctly. Mm -hmm. And he ends up falling for his best friend's daughter because mm -hmm. she falls for him and, uh, things get very interesting. Kyle, have you seen this film? I have not seen this film. I am intrigued to see this film though, because <laughs> for a couple of reasons, I'm going to Michelle Johnson, who is in this film, was born and raised in Anchorage, Alaska. Really? Interesting. All right. Not Fairbanks like you, but definitely an Alaska girl. Okay. And Joseph Bologna, he was always like he he played a lot of like mobs or like mobbed up kind of guys. He, he was one he was one of those that guy actors. You yeah. didn't know his name, but you know him every time. That's why him. I mispronounced his name. It's Bologna. Is that how you Bologna? Say it? Bologna. Bologna? Yeah. yeah. He he definitely has a mob face, like Kyle said. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Kyle, you got some trivia for us. Yep. According to contemporary news stories, 
Special parent, parental consent was required in order to allow the nude scene featuring Michelle Johnson as she was not yet 18 at the time they were filmed. Publicity for this movie also stated that Johnson was around two months out of high school when she was cast. Michelle Johnson said in a 1984 interview that it wasn't until after she was cast that she learned her role involved total nudity. My parents were a bit concerned about it, and I was too, she said. I always wanted to have a career in film, and I wanted to make the right moves at the right time. So we read the script, and we talked to Stanley to find out exactly what his intentions were for the film. The theatrical movie poster featuring the rear view of a girl in a Brazilian cut bikini caused such a stir that an altered airbrush version of the same poster with a less revealing bikini was issued. I'm guessing the thong version was the Brazil one. And the one that we see in the picture here is the more modest looking one here. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Michelle Johnson. uh, Yeah. She does a lot more nudity than I was expected. Uh, She's gorgeous, but I got to give her credit. She was actually really good in this film. Her acting was great. And the relationship between Michael Caine and her, I felt was real. Uh, She she wanted some, she, she was looking for like an older man type thing. And uh, I think she's had a crush on him for a while, if I remember the plot correctly. And he was hurting and in pain and he found something in her, obviously that he liked. I thought their chemistry was good. Uh, and then when it comes out that it, what, what happened, it gets really interesting and obviously creates tension. Uh, Valerie Harper uh, uh, shows up in it as well. Um, I just felt that Demi Moore was a little underutilized in this because she was the front she was obviously the other daughter uh but she had a couple of really good moments so i'm gonna say uh it was funny it was interesting and and also uh well shot uh shot in and around um rio as well so i do recommend it next we have crackers i promised you uh lacy we'd be talking about donald sutherland again um only made about fifty thousand dollars in the movie theater uh, starring uh, Donald Sutherland, Jack Warden, and a young Sean Penn. The uh, um, plot synopsis goes, reduced to minding the counter at a crusty pawn shop, Westlake, as Donald Sutherland's character, tumbles into a scheme and some disgruntled misfit clients to rob the place. Rather than blow the whistle, however, he uh, insinuates himself as the heist's mastermind. Jack Warden is the character that has the um, uh, the pawn shop, and this is all shot on location uh, in San Francisco. It's directed by Louis Mal, uh, also co-starring Wallace Shawn and Christine Baranski in this as well. Uh, have any of you guys seen this film? Nope. Yes, I have. It's been a Lacey, very, yes. Very, it's been a very long time, and I actually ordered it um on blu-ray and it hasn't come yet it, it it was delayed and then delayed again and so it actually now i just looked at it it says that it's gonna so it should be here on february 9th so it's literally six like like three days uh, away so um well yeah i'm very curious to get your thoughts on this for a couple of reasons uh kyle did you have something mm-hmm. you had something to say no are you going to go ahead okay i okay. just got some good here yeah well, actually, please uh, tell us the trivia on it because I got some more trivia about this. Go ahead. So this movie was the first remake of uh, Mario Monticelli's Big Deal on Madonna Street, which came out in 1958. The second would be Welcome to Collinwood, which came out in 2002. Both American movies that remake that remake was set in Cleveland, Ohio, whereas this remake was set in San Francisco, California. The two remakes were made around 18 years apart. 
director Louis Malley uh, during filming told his then wife Candace Bergen, why am I even doing this film? To which Bergen replied, then don't do it. It's the second of four collaborations of actor Wallace Shawn and director Louis Malley. The others were Atlantic City, My Dinner with Andre, and Vanya on 42nd Street. Okay, I have to jump in here and say that his name is Louis Mal. Louis Mal, okay. Thank you, thank you. Okay, so I got it. Okay, so this movie wasn't great, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I, but I did find some of the character mo- moments entertaining. But I, I don't know. My, my wife has this saying. I think this was a role this actor was this took to pay off a house or a car or a garage or addition to the house. And Michael Caine's been one of those that we've talked about, like the movie, the hand, you know, or he's, he famously was Michael Caine was famously quoted after Jaws four saying, you know, have, you know, about like, have you seen Jaws four since you've done it? You know, it's been panned or whatever. And he says, no, but I've seen the house that I bought my mom for with the money I made for it, you know? And I, this is kind of a bottle story as well. And it, Sean Penn as kind of like a, um, a guy who's kind of like, you know, stealing stuff to do things. And, but then there's like this little side story about him having a crush on this other girl, Christine Baranski though, hot in this. And she has a relationship with Donald Sutherland. She's just, she's just gorgeous in this. Um, uh, she's the, what is she? Uh, uh, she's, a police who works at a police station, but she, uh, what, what do you call it? The meter maids, you know, they give tickets mm-hmm. to park cars and stuff like that. But the other history or the other, um, trivia I had on this guys is, uh, a character by, called Tr- uh, by actor Trinidad Silvi Silva is in it. He's one of the guys that's kind of working on this heist to, you know, to steal the money, uh, out of the, out of the, um, was it the pawn shop safe or whatever you recognize him as one of those guys, more famously, he was in um, UHF as, what is it, Ramon's Wild Kingdom. Remember the guy that had the skit where he had his own, um, uh, he was filming in his apartment as one mm-hmm. of the silly shows on um, Weird Al Yankovic's TV series. And he's this is like Ramon's Wild Kingdom and he has these creatures in it that he shouldn't. And he has like a badger in there. And then there's a, we don't need no stinking badger uh, joke about it. But here's the sad thing though, is that this film comes out in 84. He actually dies during the production of that film uh, UHF with um, uh, Weird Yankovic in a car accident. So it's kind of sad. His life was cut short, but, these are the two films I think he's uh, known for, and but more importantly, uh, the funny scene that he does do in uh, UHF. So yeah, well, Lacey, I'd like to know what you think of Crackers when you see it because uh, I'm I'm yeah, split on it. I'm pro- yeah, what's that? Yeah, it's been a while. I know I I know I've seen it a million times, like back in the day on cable or whatever. Um, and again, big crush on on Donald Sutherland. So you know, if I saw him, I would stop. The, you know, well, he, he, yeah, he, he's, yeah. he's interesting in this, uh, but uh, yeah, I just, it, it, I don't know. There's something in the movie that just didn't quite sit with me. Well, that's okay. Next guys, this is the big one. We're going to be talking about this month and that is Footloose musical. Of course, theatrical came just made just over $80 million. He's a big city kid in a small town. They said he'd never win. He knew what he had to do. Footloose, the music is on his side. And of, 
And of course, uh, the quick IB, uh, IMDB synopsis says a city teenager moves to a small town where rock music and dancing have been banned. And his rebellious spirit shakes up the populace, directed by Herbert Ross, co-starring, of course, Laurie Singer, John Lithgow, Diane Weist, and Chris Penn. Kevin Bacon, of course, is the lead star. Before we start getting into our thoughts on this, guys, Kyle, let's get right into some trivia on this. Got some good ones here. Uh, Loosely based on the events that took place in the small, rural, and extremely religious farming town of Elmore City, Oklahoma, in 1978, Dancing had been banned for nearly 90 years until a group of high school teenagers challenged it. In a 2013 interview with Howard Stern, Kevin Bacon admitted that he actually tipped DJs at weddings not to play Footloose. He stated that people expect <laughs> him to dance to the song as he did in the movie. In truth, while he did do some of the dancing, there was also a dancing double for him. The scenes where Chris Penn's characters had to learn how to dance were added to the script because Penn really could not dance. The dancing feat in the opening credit sequence contained many of the cast and crews over 150 different pairs of feet were shot. The dancer with the gold shoes was Kenny Loggins. Very cool. Very cool. All right, guys, let's talk about this. This movie was huge. Uh, obviously had a great soundtrack. I remember seeing it in the theater. Absolutely loved this film. Uh, one of Kevin Bacon's most iconic roles. Uh, let's get your thoughts, Lacey. I loved it. Um, had this on VHS, had it on DVD, and then got you the got the Blu-ray. I'm still rocking the DVD right here. I'm still and, rocking the DVD. Yeah. Uh, to be released on March 12th is the uh, 4K Steelbook. So oh, that I, I might have to invest in. You know what? I'm not sure if it's a Steelbook. I know it's 4K, but I can't remember. But I feel like the the sound on that is just going to blow the doors off my house. And Which I means it might right. come with a digital copy too. So. Yeah. Yeah, um, I'm pretty sure I already had a div- have a digital copy, but you know who knows. Well, I don't know if I've upgraded it to to 4K yet. Um, but no, uh, love this movie. I my favorite couple in this movie is the Sarah Jessica Parker and um, Chris Penn. That yes. little, they're so cute, and she's just yeah. this little like Spitfire, and um, yeah. So it was fun. It was a uh, it was a really great turn for Diane Weist. She's mm. really under, she's kind of underappreciated in this movie, I think. Um, yeah. So. Gotcha. Yeah, no, I, I agree. She, yeah. Uh, okay, Kyle, your thoughts on Footloose. Did you see the theater? Uh, I, I saw it in the theater. Uh, this is, I, I love Footloose. This, this was one of those movies that was so popular that even, it actually, I remember watching it on Christmas Day or Christmas Day night on network television like just a few years after it came out, it got, it was so popular and got fast tracked pretty quickly to VHS and on to, um, right onto cable and on, I think like CBS was showing it, but I mean, Kevin Bacon came out huge in this. I mean, because of this, he saved the universe. Thanks to uh, a certain star Lord. Um, <laughs> obviously Laurie Singer was phenomenal. The cast was phenomenal from top to bottom, but I will say this and I mean this wholeheartedly. One of the legendary performances from John Lithgow, I would say it's in his top three greatest performances. Oh, no, yeah, no, that's a, that, that's a great, great point there. And I love the shout out to Guardians of the Galaxy and uh, Star Lord uh, talking about uh, Kevin Bacon in this. I, this movie is one of my, one of my favorites and one of my favorite soundtracks. And, you know, when it comes to scenes, I love it when he shows up to school for the first time. But out of that yellow VW, he's blasting Quiet Riot. 
gets a ticket for it. I think that's very funny. Of course, it's got uh, the iconic "Let's Let's Teach Chris Penn How to Dance" montage. You got the chicken with the uh, uh, the tractors. Yeah. And then, of course, the big angst scene where he he's pissed off and he goes to the warehouse and he's dancing around, you know, and they're playing the song. And then uh, Laurie Singer's character, uh, you know, catches him doing. He's kind of embarrassed by it. And there's some great moments in this um, and very iconic as well. Uh, and sometimes parried is very, very well. But I agree with you, Lacey. I do love Sarah Jessica Parker and Sean Penn's, uh, or Chris Penn's, Sarah, excuse me, um, relationship in this, especially in the bar scene, you know, where he can't dance and he gets jealous when she starts dancing. And, uh, you know, and then we learn more about the tragedy and and the the scene, too, in the church as well, when he makes his case, you know, and he, he you know, says there's dancing in the Bible. And, you know, just it's it's just got these great moments that you're just cheering for this this movement in, the, in this cause. And, you know, and, and uh, you know, the moment between uh, Lithgow and Laurie Singer's character uh, in the church as well is another memorable one as well. Kyle. One of the things you I remember big from this movie and it, it I think it's, it's today still one of the more underrated, powerful scenes. Is when John when John Lithgow goes running because they're burning books. Oh yes, yeah. Like what? Are, what like, are they what? doing? Oh my god. Yeah. 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 So uh, just 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 I think um, one of the great one of the greatest movies of the eighties for sure. Penny Loggins is, and we've had this conversation on other versions of Time Warp where we talked about soundtracks. Penny Loggins, I'm sorry, he is the master of soundtracks of the 1980s. There is nobody yeah. that holds. A candle yep. to Kenny Loggins when it comes to soundtracks and music in the night 1980s, and it's it's one of the it's probably one of the top five greatest soundtracks of all time. Agreed. Yeah, Lacey, any of your thoughts on uh, uh, Footloose here and uh, favorite scenes? Oh wow, um, favorite scenes. I think uh, I love the you know Chicken is great because realistically he got stuck on that tractor and he shouldn't have won. He shouldn't have won. Right, you got stuff to um, I think that's great. I think it's. Um, I, I love watching Chris Penn try and learn how to dance because, um, for, I mean, it said that he didn't know how to dance, which is one thing, but it's hard to act like you don't know how to dance once you know how to dance. So I think it's a. It was. It's an interesting um, kind of paradox when they have to teach yeah. him. So they they videoed teaching him so they could just add it in. I think that was kind of cool. Well, I wanted to take this opportunity, guys, to not just talk about Footloose 1984, but I also wanted to talk about Footloose 2011, the remake, which has been panned by lots of people. I have the Blu-ray right here, but it's worth discussing for a few reasons here. And I wanted to bring up the slideshow on these as well. And as you guys see, I, I kind of see what I did here. I kind of put like the poster and the characters together side by side. You can see who's who. Uh, and I actually saw this in the theater when it came out. Uh, I think it was also filmed in Georgia as well, if I remember correctly. And uh, the city teenager Ren McCormick moves to a small town where rock music and dancing have been banned. And his rebellious spirit shakes up the populace. Uh, same plot, basically, guys. <laughs> Directed by Craig, uh, Craig Brewer. Stars Kenny um, Wormald, uh, Julianne Huff, Dennis Quaid as the father, Andy McDowell as the mother, and in the uh, Chris Penn role, Miles Teller and Ray McKinnon. Kyle, I want you to 
Tell us the trivia first before we talk about Footloose, the remake. Well, and I actually remember this this particular piece of trivia because it was a pretty big deal at the time because yeah. this was meant to be a huge thing for Zac Efron. And he was originally cast as Ray McCormick. He pulled out in March 2009 because he did not want people to think all he could do was sing and dance. So he chose to star in the movie Charlie St. Cloud. This was also while Juliana Huff was having a huge moment because let's not forget she was doing Dancing with the Stars. Um, she did a little movie with Tom Cruise. Um, she beat out several favorites, including Hayden Pantieri, which at the time she was on fire with Heroes, Save the Cheerleader, yeah. all that. Um, Miley Cyrus and Amanda Bynes for the part of Ariel Moore. So there was that, that's some big names for that time frame she beat out. And I'm thankful to you because might be crushing on Juliana Huff. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Justin Timberlake recommended Kenny Wormwald to be in the film as he was a backup dancer for him. And Miles Teller, who played the Chris Penn part, had played his on-screen role of Willard Hewell in a high school version of Footloose, the musical. All right. Okay. So, first of all, have we all seen this? Raise your hand. Yes. Kyle, you've seen it? Yep. Lacey? Okay. So, I want to talk about, first of all, the I want to I want to talk about what I didn't like about this film and the I'm going to be so angsty and go to the uh, the warehouse and, and, and dance in ang anger is one of the most cringeworthy moments in cinematic history because they do not do that well and remake that well in this movie. It is bad, really bad, hilariously bad. Uh, the. Uh, I'm trying to think that, that that is probably the biggest thing, but I want to talk about Kenny uh, Wormold here. He's okay, but I think he was miscast. I think Efron would have been a lot better in this, not just because of the singing, but I just, yeah, he dances the part, but he almost dances the part too. Well, there's a, there's a, a dance scene where they do the line dancing. You know, it's, it's the, let's get uh, the, the Miles Teller, uh, you know, Chris Penn character out to dance scene as well. Uh, but the thing that I did like about it is instead of the chicken tractor race, they have this, let's race these old buses in a figure eight. And you have to be careful not to hit each other when you cross the eight thing. That was kind of entertaining. But Kyle, Juliana Huff is hot in this film. Well. But she's almost too naughty in this film compared to Laurie Singer's character. Uh, and I also thought that um, uh, Dennis Quaid was good as the father. He had his moments. Andy McDowell, I thought was good in this. There's enough mo moments for me to make this movie watchable and entertaining. I'm just, I think Kenny's just underwhelming a little bit. Kyle. So I agree with you about Kenny. And I think the problem is, is you needed Zach Efron because Zach Efron could have brought that same kind of energy that Kevin Bacon brought to the original film. There's yeah. an energy missing from his performance. And Agreed. I think Efron was a big enough name, but he wasn't that serious. He, he was actually in a very similar place in his career that Kevin Bacon was when he did Footloose, the original Footloose. I, I think the person that was best in their role in the remake was definitely Miles Teller. He oh, yeah. was Miles. great in this film. Miles Teller is a oh. chameleon. Yeah. 
Yeah, he's he's a great actor. Okay, Lacey, um, feel free to laugh at me. Um, no, I don't know what your thoughts are. What are your thoughts on the remake, Footloose? I think that uh, because Kenny Wormald was a dancer as opposed to an actor, I think that they, I think that they were trying to rely more heavily on his dancing than than to adjust the script to be um, more. I don't know. I feel like I feel like he would have carried it well had the dancing been like, I feel like they tried to update the dancing to 2011. And at the time dancing in 2011 was like a lot of crumping and a lot of like dance battley stuff where you're like doing this kind of thing. And it yeah, a lot, lot, a lot of boot, a lot more booty shaking in this one. Right. Yeah. And so the whole yeah. thing where he goes to the, the warehouse to like, you know, get, you know, blow off steam they should have, like they did with Kevin Bacon's character, they should have choreographed it in a more gymnastics-based yeah. like thing. And they didn't do that. They, they wanted to make some changes. Now, the, the changes that I did enjoy, I think that it was great that they started three years ago with the accident instead of telling, yep. you know, what happened. Yeah, you got you got to see that scene. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you see what happens and you see why. And I think that um that was a you know, in, in film school, they always say, don't say it, show it. Yeah. If you can, you know, get rid of the exposition, yeah. show it, what happened. I, I, really I did want to mention too. I loved, I actually liked the relationship. Um, I think it's the uncle played by Ray McKinnon in yep. Ren. Uh, he's the one that has like the, the, was it the car shop or the car, the used car lot that, that he yep. gets to, you know, live at. I thought he's really good. A lot of people know him through Deadwood and some other roles as well. I thought he was good. So, right, right. um, I, I know a lot of people think this movie's dumb and it was, it's not a good remake, but there's enough in it for me that I actually enjoy it and rewatch it. Kyle. And I think part of the problem with this is for the original footloose is so iconic. It's to do a remake of it is really hard. Yeah. And as much as I love, um, yeah. Uh, Dennis Quaid, he's impossible shoes to fill. Impossible yeah. shoes to fill. In that. Yeah, John Lithgow I, was just so I mean, good, so good. I, I, I agree with you on Miles Teller, and I really think actually I would take Juliana Huff over um, for a singer. That's yeah. what I was going to say. I think that Juliana yeah. Huff outshone Laurie Singer in the relationship with Dennis Quaid's character. I don't think that the relationship between John Lithgow and Laurie Singer was as effective. Yeah, or as good as it could have been. Yeah, like yeah, I think I mean because I watched them both today back to back. I when when she, when Julianne Hough gets ready to go to the dance and Dennis Quaid, you know, talks to her and says you know all the nice sweet things or whatever that gave me tears. John Lithgow and Laurie Singer did not. Yeah, you like know? I said, Miles Teller. I think Miles Teller kind of steals this movie. In my what, Miles Teller is a genius, and I will yeah. say it. He is the like he's a combination of like Tom Hanks and Tom Cruise. Like this yeah. kid is going to rule the freaking world one day. I will stand by this, and I will fight you if you. I agree. I am uh, seeing him do yeah. such a variety of different roles. Yeah, I, like I said, he's a chameleon. He's if one of those actors. He can just do you, anything. If you haven't yeah. seen the spectacular now with it's he and Shailene Woodley and he's like a teenage alcoholic and it's just, I mean, I, I assume he's great in that, but I, I just, I, I, I'm not ready to see a film like that. I, <laughs> it, was, it was amazing. But, and my friend Gary yeah. played the dad anyway. Um, yeah. no, but I will say this as far as, um, the character line from the original, 
uh, Footloose that I love the most was when um, Mal, uh, when um, what's his name? Uh, in the Chris new Penn. one, yeah, no, I'm sorry, in the new one when Miles Teller says, you know, what do you think about that or whatever? When the, after the fight or whatever, she said, right. I think you're sexier than a rooster wearing socks. Yeah, <laughs> just the cutest so, thing ever. Uh, what I like is when they take movies and they put them together on the same physical media, and you can get the double feature of Footloose. And Footloose, if you want. It's out there. Mm-hmm. It is available if you want. <laughs> yep. And All right. your favorite scene, my friend Anessa, was the the girl, Caroline, uh, the girl who drove the bus in the bus race. Oh, really? Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. yeah. I actually like that challenge better than the... Uh, the chicken tractor thing. Cause I'm like, Holy crap. They're going to, they're driving these buses in a figure eight mm-hmm. and you got to be careful where they, they crisscross there. I love that idea. Yeah. I thought it was and great, so. I forget, Patrick John Pfluger. He plays a really good, like a hole. Like, oh yes. He usually yeah. plays like these yeah. sweet, like he was Jeremiah in the princess diaries. <laughs> you know, he was like this, he's always plays these sweet characters and you see him doing this. You're like, dang. Okay. <laughs> What's going on there. Next. Yeah. We have Lassiter, and I'm really excited about this because, uh, yes, there you go. And I got my DVD right here as well, Lassiter. Nice. I'm excited to hear what um, uh, what you think, Lacey. Uh, thriller, suspense, theatrical. Um, it just made over $17 million, starring Tom Selleck. And the poster says, when the law has a job they can't handle, they need a man outside the law. Lassiter, a handsome jewel thief, is arrested and in order to avoid prison, must break into a heavily guarded German embassy to steal millions in gems. Of course, this is during right before uh, this is right before World War II. Germans have taken over most of Europe, uh, and of course, starring uh, Tom Selleck, the beautiful and lovely Jane Seymour, Lauren Hutton, and Bob Hoskins. Kyle, please give us some trivia first before we uh, talk about Lasser. Bear with me because I don't know if I can handle this piece of trivia. Uh, Lasseter is the only movie where Jane Seymour is seen nude. She is seen from the rear and the side. Um, so basically, that's side boob and side butt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, okay, I think I'm good now. Uh, the movie was made to capitalize in the popularity of Tom Selleck's Magnum character from the TV series Magnum P.I. Movie poster taglines boasted, the Magnum man hits the big screen with a vengeance. <laughs> Lauren Hutton's role as sexy German spy Harry von Rusten in this 1984 film was a Matahari-type character. A new version of Matahari in 1985 would be made and released in released in 85. All right. So, guys, I I like this movie. I love the costumes. I, anything during World War II, you have me as well. I kind of feel like this was the, okay, if you're not going to let me be Indiana Jones, I'm going to be a, a, a version of Indiana Jones, the guy in the cool suit, you know, that has to dress and sneaky and do things like that. I, I just, I, I just wish this film had a little more, much more legs to it. I wish it would have been bigger, but I love the setting. I love the cast. Bob Hoskins was great in this. You know, and you had Nazis as bad guys, which is always good. Lacey, you've just recently watched it for the first time. What are your thoughts on Lasseter? Okay, so the character played by Lauren Hutton was super just wrong, man. Like, there's one point where they're at a cocktail party and they're kind of like trading spars. And and, and he says something and she's like, well, I like it better in I don't know, Germany or wherever, Buenos Aires, because the 
they have more, there, there's more to do. You can see women with animals and drugs and, and young boys. And I'm like, what is this movie? Like, what is happening? This is not, none of that is okay. <laughs> what? Like, it was a different time, Lacey. <laughs> yeah, it was a much different time. <laughs> it's like, you're legit. Like, this is 1984. You're talking about a, a film that was released in theaters. Like, this was a regular, like, release. And it wasn't, it was, I don't, I'm just not used to, like, bestiality and pedophilia in one sentence. Like, good Lord. <laughs> what happened? Um, I think that uh, the Jane Seymour character was really fun, but I think that they could have used her more. I think that they should have used her more. It I would have been a fan of that. <laughs> yeah, I'm down. I'm down. I'm down. Um, it did feel like, I, I think Bob Hoskins stole the show, but I, I, you, I will say we got to, we can't forget um, uh, uh, Joe Regalbuto. Buto? 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 Whatever. Um, you know, he played, he's the, the, Street Hawk, man. He was the the CIA guy in Street Hawk. And I saw him. I was yeah. like, what? <laughs> like, this is great. He plays a CIA guy in this too. Uh, so he has a type. Um, so I liked the the setup. It kind of had a Hudson Hawk thing, you know. He gets out of yep. he gets out of hot water and then somebody try to blackmails him into doing the the thing. Um Tom Selleck is always sexy. He's always like he he looked good in this film. Yeah, dressed well. I mean, he's just handsome as you know what. But the thing about Tom Selleck in this role and in you know things like Magnum, even in like In and Out, um, he's got that nonchalant. Like I know I'm attractive, so I'm just going to be over here. And he doesn't. He just he just it's just very relaxed the way he yeah. kind of portrays himself. He holds himself a certain way, and that's just very very attractive. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think all the parts considered, I think that um, Bob Hoskins playing the, like the dirty cop was just fantastic. He looked good too. The, with his yeah. the door he's wearing and yeah. So yeah. Parts of it were very weird. Like the two bad guys that are like trying to force him to do this. They're literally standing one block from the, from the um, embassy where, Tom Selleck's inside and doing his thing. And they're literally standing there like this, like waiting for the bad guy to come out. Like, what are you doing? You know, it's like, it's, it's kind of one of those spy movies where everybody knows the other people. In the right. Other right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Kyle, do you have a thought? Sorry. Go ahead. I want to have a, just this quick thought on Tom Selleck because mm -hmm. how much as great as Magnum PI is and as great as he is in it, how much did that show prevent him from being one of the biggest movie stars of uh, that that is that is one of the topics that is highly discussed, and yeah, I I think that his that TV show and not letting him you know film stuff out of it, and uh, you know they were they knew they had the man for the TV series, and they 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 wanted to kind of keep him on a tether, I think, and it's I think he could have been a bigger movie star than he was, but now yeah. he's more known for you know blue bloods. Yeah, the TV series stuff, you know, and I think outside, I think probably his biggest film might have been uh, Quigley Down Under. Actually, I'm going to say Three Men and a Baby. Well, and he also has. Hold on, stop, stop. Hold on. To clarify, as the lead star, okay, yeah. Three Men and a Baby had those three guys and it was, you know, a big thing. But I'm talking about as you are the lead star. 
you know. He ha- he does have the uh, the the uh, the Jesse Stone series. Like he's been. Yeah, those aren't the releases, yeah, and they're, they're very. Cool. Yes. Yeah, but I just felt like you know probably his other big stardom was you know his role in Friends. You know, a lot of people <laughs> think that's the guy from Friends. You know, Monica's older boyfriend. So, but yeah, Kyle, yeah. good point. Yeah. I think her alibi was a good one. And Runaway, Runaway was great. Loved Runaway. Great movies. Runaway is actually, that and um, uh, Quigley are my two favorite ones, but like yeah. not big box office successes. You know, uh, Quigley might have been the biggest one. I feel like he was allowed to do like one mer- movie per summer kind of a thing, like when he's on hiatus. And I think he just maybe, he just didn't get the same offers during hiatus yeah. because that's when, yeah. and, yeah, and yeah. keep in mind, this is the time where you didn't have um, crossovers like until ER and George Clooney and his like you know um, out of sight I think it was or maybe it was the Robert um, whatever uh, Dust Till Dawn like they really didn't have a lot of like TV actors it was you went from TV to movies but you didn't go back yeah, yeah that changed that changed later in the 90s and yeah. 2000s yeah definitely yeah good point yeah. All right, guys, the last film we're going to go into depth about was uh, one that kind of caught me by surprise. I didn't know if we were going to do it, but I decided to include it because it surprised me. (laughs) And that movie is The Return of Captain Invincible. Everything's going to be just great again. (laughs) What the world needs now is a shining hero. Uh, and the synopsis is, in World War II, Captain Invincible uses his superpowers against the Nazis, and he was a hero. But when they accuse him of supporting communists, you know, during the McCarthy trials, yeah. he retired to Australia. Now, after a U.S. super secret super weapon is stolen, yes, U.S. super secret super weapon is stolen, he's asked to come back to help. Unfortunately, he's an alcoholic now. (laughs) (laughs) Captain Invincible is played by Alan Arkin, and the villain is Christopher Lee, and one of the co-stars is Kate Fitzpatrick. (laughs) Wow. Before before I go to the trivia here, guys, think of it this way. Think of as the uh, Will Smith movie, um, Hancock, but as a musical... A musical that takes place in Sydney, Australia. Kyle, give us some trivia first before I go into this. Okay. So Sir Christopher Lee singing in this movie was out of the ordinary at the time, but 13 years later, Lee recorded his first album, Sings, Devils, Rogues, and Other Villains, from Broadway to Beirut and Beyond, containing a mixture of classical opera and modern music, followed by the 2006 Standards album, Revelation, including Paul Anka's My Way and the heavy metal concept albums Charlemagne by the Sword and the Cross in 2010 and Charlemagne the Omens of Death in 2013. Lee also sang in the film The Wicker Man, the 1973 version of the film. Yeah, just, just to clarify, there, he, Christopher Lee, horror, you know, legend, mm. Star Wars legend now is Count Dooku, did <laughs> some metal, sang some metal. And Kevin, he did sing in this movie. I think I think well, there needs to be a hair metal episode on the Christopher Lee albums. Yeah. <laughs> Kyle, continue. Three of the ten songs featured in this movie were from Richard O'Brien and Richard Hartley, the team behind the Rocky Horror Picture Show and Shock Treatment. For the record, when you watch this movie, 
and listen to the songs, you can tell that it is from the same group that did Rocky Horror Picture Show and Shock Creep. <laughs> James Coburn was originally interested to play the part of Captain Invincible. Coburn was good friends with the director and always wanted to work with Mora on a project. Coburn was all set to play the part, but had to drop out over a disagreement with a certain scene. Despite Moore's explaining the reason for the scene being in the movie, Corbin, Corbin could just not understand the point of the scene involving the vacuum cleaners. He said to Moore that they should work on another project some other time, and so they did on Death of a Soldier in 1986. Kevin, I must know about the vacuum cleaners, because I have not seen this movie. <laughs> I'm going to so, go like, inappropriate for this podcast. Yeah, so... First of all, there's some really funny scenes during World War II when he's taking on Nazis and especially when he's like trying to stop a Nazi plane and he's like on the front of the plane. He's just kicking back on the canopy, like trying to distract the the, the Nazi pilot. There's a funny scene with some children uh, who are Boy Scouts and there's a tie to the kid who's one of the people that um, he's talking to and the, the guy, the kid gets older and meets up with him again. Uh, yeah, and he also has this power of like becoming magnetic. So there's some very funny scenes that take place in current day where all of a sudden everything that's metal starts coming off. And so there's some comedic scenes with buttons on girls' blouses for obvious reasons. Uh, no R-rated stuff. I believe this is a PG film, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it is a PG film. But Alan Arkin is singing in this movie. I've never heard Alan Arkin sing before. I didn't know he could sing. And he's actually really good. Christopher Lee has a very funny villain moment in a very obvious, uh, um, I guess you could say Rocky Horror-esque scene while he's singing in it. Um, it was strangely entertaining, guys. I gotta tell you. <laughs> Alan Arkin, where has this film been for him? I know he's won an Oscar, Little Miss Sunshine, he has his moments, but I gotta tell you, this movie needs a resurgence, guys. I'm just gonna throw it out there. It is silly, uh, but it's fun. I just I it surprised me. I found it, I think, on YouTube or no, I think it's on Tubi. I think it's on Tubi. Um at least watch it. It's funny. I didn't expect what it was gonna be. And the concept, I mean, I I kept thinking of like Chris Evans as Captain America, but in a musical version. But no, he's Rogers a Rogers the musical. Yeah, Rogers the musical. Uh, Lacey, uh, any thoughts? It it sounds like a combination of the greatest American hero and yep. um, Hancock. Well, I I wasn't gonna say Hancock. That that ended up being weird. Um, but I was gonna say, um, oh, you threw me off with Hancock. Um, uh, Cat Baloo, where they hire the drunk to try and get rid of the, the bad guy. I didn't see. Yeah. I didn't see that movie. I don't know it. Yeah, yeah like okay. Mega Mind. Better. Okay. 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 Gotcha. Okay. There's American Hero uh, Mega Mind. Yeah. Ha have you guys heard of this film at all before? Or we brought it up in Time War. No, but okay. as soon as you started talking, I found it on Amazon, and it's going to be here in four days. Is a DVD, DVD or Blu-ray, or is it a Criterion? What, what, what is it on? I gotta ask. Blu-ray. I mean, no, it's DVD. Sorry, they didn't have it on Blu-ray. Okay, I gotta uh, think uh, how much, Amazon. How much, is hold on, hold on, wait, Kyle, for this Kyle, podcast. Kyle, hold on one second. Uh, Lacey, how much? How much was the DVD? Um, it was. Hold on. 
Because I want to know when you get it, if it has special features, because I would love to learn more about it if they did a commentary or something like that. Uh, Kyle, what did you say? I'm sorry. I said Amazon needs to be a sponsor for this podcast. I know. (laughs) You mean because we bought stuff while we're podcasting about it? Every single time one of the two of us ends up going, oh, okay, I'm going to this is a film that I could tell you that could have become like, let's watch this every Saturday night or Friday night, like Rocky Horror, nice. but in superhero form, you Very know, cool. and his outfit is hilarious as well. Uh, I, I don't know. I, 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 makes I me think of Super Dave. Do you remember that guy? Oh, yeah, yeah. Super Dave, Super Dave yeah. Osborne. Like, yeah, it yeah. kind of feels like Super Dave meets, yep. yeah. meets some drunk guy with a lot with whiskey breath. Yeah, it, it's funny because there's a picture of New York, um, mm-hmm. in the poster, but I, this movie takes place entirely in uh, and filmed, I think, in um, Australia. And I was going when they were filming scene when they were showing scenes in Sydney. I was going, I've been there. I know where that is. Mm-hmm. And there's some really nice shots of the Sydney Harbor in this as well, and some great uh, um, Australian actors that are co-starring in this. I, so I recommend it. So Lacey, uh, get back to us for the next episode. Sure. I want to know what you yeah, think of it. Know. Uh, especially if there is, uh, send me a link because I want to find out if there's special features. I got to learn more about this film. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. As I mentioned, we do have a couple of films in the cutting room floor for particular reasons. And the first one is Weekend Pass. And the next one is The Last Hunter. Weekend Pass surprisingly made $21 million in the theatrical uh, release. 72 Hours of Liberty to forget everything the Navy ever taught them. Uh, three rookie sailors have just completed basic training are out on their first weekend pass as they hit one bar after another, and soon they forget everything on the Navy has ever taught them. Uh, just one note, uh, Phil Hartman is in this film. I did see a uh, At The Movies uh, segment about this with Roger uh, Ebert and, and um, uh, Siskel. Uh, they both gave him a, a thumbs down. Um, they, this movie just did not deliver uh but the battleship shown on the DVD menu is the USS Wisconsin, which actually I have been on before. I think it's now uh, permanently moored in uh, Norfolk, Virginia. The Last Hunter, I watched a trailer and a little bit of scenes about it. It's basically an Italian-made uh, Vietnam film. Uh, and uh, a lot of the people's voices were dubbed in it. It, looks, it looked very violent. During a Vietnam War, an American soldier gets trapped behind enemy lines. A squad of his buddies sets out to rescue him. Uh, and they were the filming locations were all shot near where Apocalypse Now was shot, um, which came out in 1979 uh, in the Philippines. Any, have you guys heard of any of these films? I'm Can't say that pretty sure at some point I, ha- I, I, I feel like I have Weekend Pass. Just the weekend pass, by the way, the first opening scenes of it is all basically a montage of L.A. and um, all the famous Hollywood locations. You know, they can tell like they spent like a few hours just let's do a montage and show all of the uh, iconic scenes in L.A. and Malibu. And that's basically it. So anyway, that is the uh, cutting room floor weekend pass and the last hunter. If you guys have seen these films and have any thoughts about it on social media, please let us know. Let's wrap this up guys. Top grossing films of 1984. There was one of these films that we talked about that did make it into the top. Anyone take a guess? Loose. Yes. But loose may at number seven 
out of the top 10 made just wow. over $80 million. Let's wrap this up, guys. All right. Final thoughts. Lacey, what did you learn about Time Warp 1984, February? I learned that I want to see uh, whatever that one I just ordered was. The Captain Pol- Invincible. It sounds hilarious. Also, I really <laughs> want to go back and rewatch all the Greatest American Hero uh, shows, show because I just remember loving it so much, and that reminded me of that. Now I have to go back and watch it all. <laughs> Kyle, any final thoughts? Uh, any, any of these you kind of want to see, or you're like, ah, I'm good? <laughs> well, let's just say, I, obviously, February was the racy month of 19. Yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> Yep. Um, yep. Right. There's a, a couple of these I would like to actually revisit. I, I haven't wa- I haven't seen Lassiter in a very long time, so I would like to go revisit that. And I will probably find a way to, at some point this summer to check out Captain Invincible. Yeah, it's uh, like I said, it is a stream. I think it was Tubi, if I remember correctly. It's interesting to watch. I definitely found it entertaining. Well, next month uh, on Time Warp of the Movies of 1984, here on the Fandom Podcast Network, we're going to be teasing Spinal Tap, Splash, Romancing the Stone, Repo Man, Ice Pirates, Police Academy, Sahara, Children of the Corn, Tank, Greystoke, Legend of Tarzan, and there's a few others in there as well. Uh, Got to tell you, March is kind of killing it. I'm looking forward to talking about March, Lacey. I'm pretty sure I have literally every film that you just discussed that you just listed yeah. with the exception of repo man. I don't think I, I have, have, I need to rewatch that. It's been too long. The first yeah. time I saw it, I did not like it and did not no. get it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kyle thoughts on upcoming March. March is a big month, but Kevin, I need you to promise me something. There will be no space herpes on this pod on that podcast, correct? <laughs> no guarantees, buddy. I'm sorry, but when uh, water is low, shenanigans happen. <laughs> you realize that this was just the postman in space, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> out there. I'm, I'm sorry. No, or rather, I, I would say I, I want to. I actually, out of all these, I want to do an Ice Pirates couch potato. Yes, I, I freaking love that film. I would so say we'll the postman was Ice Pirates on Earth. So. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, all right, guys. Let's cl- costumes. Let's get in some contact information here, guys. All right, if you guys are listening, thank you so much for listening. Please uh, subscribe to us on your podcast catchers. Uh, fpnet.podbean.com is our master feed for all of our audio podcasts. And if you're watching us on YouTube, thank you so much. Please subscribe. Uh, please share it out. We appreciate you. The Fandom Podcast Network, of course, is on YouTube. And uh, if you subscribe and hit the bell as well, you'll be notified of uh, upcoming podcasts and live events, too. We like to do some live stuff as well. Uh, the Fandom Podcast Network can stream and download on the Podbean app. And, of course, all your major podcast platforms. Please check us out, like on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and such. Fandom Podcast Network is on Facebook. You can email us at fandompodcastnetwork at gmail.com. And we are also on Instagram and Twitter. My name is Kevin Reitzel. I am on X, Twitter, uh, and Instagram and threads at Spartan underscore Phoenix. Kyle, where can we find you? And you can find me, of course, all over the Fandom Podcast Network. You can also find me on Twitter at AKyleW or on threads and Instagram at AKyleFandom. Lacey, where can we find you? I am on the Facebook because I am old. 
<laughs> I, uh, I'm also on um, the the gram and uh, Letterbox. I think we were talking about Letterbox last time. Um, yeah. So you can follow me there. I have a bunch of movies on there that I like. Um, I thought I saw you on some Netscape too. Some old Netscape. <laughs> you just sit down, sir. <laughs> Don't make me turn this okay. I can't um, say anything because I'm the guy that has an active MySpace page still. So there you go. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's uh, that's kind of it. I think I'm going to be doing the Valentine's show with you guys. Um, other than that, yeah. I think. Uh, yes. You'll find me here, mostly. Awesome. Well, guys, uh, Lacey, thank you again, as always. And I just want to actually say this. Uh, I don't say this enough, Lacey. Uh, Kyle and I really appreciate the work and the effort you do putting into researching and watching these shows. And I love your movie knowledge. And I just want to take it a point to say thank you very, very much, Lacey. I appreciate Aww. you very much. Yes. We, we're not worthy. We're not yes. worthy. You guys yeah. make me blush. Uh, yes. well, you know what? Here's the thing. I love movies, so this could not be more fun. <laughs> like, <laughs> unless, you know, I, don't, I can't, honestly, I can't imagine it being more fun unless we were all in the same room talking about it. You know? Yeah. Um, so I'm having a blast. So I am here anytime. Anytime I have knowledge of what you're going to discuss, I am happy to join. Thank you so Appreciate much. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, again, uh, special thanks to Lacey and Kyle. I'm Kevin. Thank you everyone for joining us here on the fandom podcast network for time warp 1984 part two 40th anniversary of all the movies and pop culture here in February of 84. Of course, next we'll be talking about March. Kyle, do you have a last thing you want to say? I just want to say it's since we're talking about February, 1984 and we're talking food. I'm just going to say for all everybody out there, let's hear it for the boy. Care for the boy. Yes. <laughs> well said. All right, guys. Thank you so much. And until next time, we will see you back in time.